to Thank lead us you. in our teaching. What's that? Don't make me kiss your ring before you teach. That sets the wrong tone. That's exactly right. It's okay, though. So I am double-fisted today. Um, water and hot water with lemon. So I will do my best to talk in a tone that you can hear. I don't have any of the high notes right now. So I want to start by giving you a little quiz. I'm going to give you the movie sequel, and you get to shout out and guess the original movie. So, for example, if I gave you Shrek 2, you would say... Excellent. They're not all that easy, though. Okay, here we go. The Dark Knight. Batman. Begins. I heard it. Okay, next one. Meet the Fockers. Meet the parents. All right. Good job. New Moon. Maybe the students can't play, right? Twilight. Okay, next one. Hannibal. They were silent over there. That's right. That's like our movie. Okay, here we go. 22 Jump Street. I hate them, actually. Okay, the two towers. And what was it called? The Fellowship of the Ring. Excellent. Good job. This is tricky. Aliens. Oh, not that tricky. It was tricky to me. Alien, singular as in one. The color of money. <laughs> True, green, wrong answer for the quiz. Oh, this goes back. The hustler. Who said that? Excellent. That's right. Paul Newman. The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> All right, in the first row. Okay, Star Wars. Excellent. Acts of the Apostles. Luke. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. The Gospel of Luke. Our scripture passage today is from the Gospel of, is from Acts, which is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. I think it's important to understand where our Bible passage comes from, if we can kind of understand what the passage is saying to us. So we know we have the four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The next book in the New Testament is Acts. So Luke was one of the only apostles, one of the only disciples, one of the only writers in the Bible who we have a written commentary that thought it was very important for us to see the continuation of the story after Jesus' life. He's like, it's not over yet. Most of Acts is about the new church. It's about people like you and me trying to figure out how to be church, how to do the church. So, Acts is the narrative account, the stories of those apostles, of these people trying to figure it out. So, I've asked Emma Turtle if she would come up and read our scripture passage for us today. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, at three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him there daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for some alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and they said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or no gold, But what I have to give to you 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk as he, em- as he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Hmm. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit there and ask for alms from people. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Thank you. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we put our lives before your word, open to the Spirit's movement as we try to follow you more closely. Amen. Most of you know I'm Lori Haas. I'm the Executive Director of Ministries, which means that I get to dabble in all the fun places of church, the Early Childhood Center Preschool, children's ministry, student ministry, special worship services, tutoring, and of course, the garden. I've been doing the children's moments for almost five years now, so I think that any time I have an opportunity to speak, there might be a part of me that wants to help us connect to our inner child. Because I think when we are in that wonderful childlike state, it's when we're closest to God and who he really created us to be. We haven't started wearing those masks that we hide behind. We aren't afraid to dance or to play or to show our true emotions. We're not afraid to go on adventures and to laugh out loud. So, because of those things, I have an example that I want to share with you. But first, I have to know, did everybody receive their brand new crayon? If you didn't, would you raise your hand? Because the girls are going to come around with some more. So we have some over here, if someone would come. So raise your hand high, only if you didn't receive your gift. That's right, everyone is a winner today. You all are going to walk home with one brand new, beautifully never used crayon. Yeah, I know, sorry, it's not Oprah. I wish it could be a new car, right? So, and there's a bunch over here, Mayor. Okay, so while you guys are getting your crayons, keep your hands up, we're going to keep moving. <coughs> so, this exa- so, sorry, this example. Do you know that if you went in front of a kindergarten class and you said to them, raise your hand if you're an artist, every single little hand would shoot up into the air. And it's not just a... I think I'm an artist. It's like they're so certain they're an artist that they're pretty sure that they're fan-freaking-tastic. It's the last time all of them will answer the question in that way. You see, I think we've kind of painted ourselves in a corner as far as the art world. We've connected being an artist to be able to create something that is realistic. Pablo Picasso is probably one of the greatest artists of all times. He didn't paint this because he couldn't paint that. He painted in his iconic signature style after he was already an art, an art star in the world. He painted that very realistic altar boy when he was 14 years old. So maybe the definition of artist has to change a bit to being someone who creates art. So whether you put a crayon to paper 
or a paintbrush to canvas, or you write a poem, or you dance a dance, or you sing a song, even in the shower, or maybe when you're sitting in the traffic light and you think no one's watching, you are an artist. You are an artist. Well, at least we have a little bit of creativity in us. So, okay, let's say that art is not your premier gift, or you don't claim it as your premier gift. I have no doubt that we have all been created with wonderful gifts and talents. And I wonder, what is it that keeps us from regularly sharing those gifts with others? Maybe part of it is that we really don't believe that we have a gift that we can share. Did any of you grow up in a home where an adult told you that you would never amount to anything, that you were dumb or worthless? In my dad's brokenness as an alcoholic, he seemed to get his own self-worth by putting other people down, and I happened to be one of the lucky ones. But actually, I am one of the lucky ones because the dominant voice in my world came from my mom. And my mom's voice was encouraging, empowering, you can do anything, but regardless of what you do, you are loved. It's not that I don't have echoes of that destructive voice in my head sometimes. And if that's the only voice you ever hear, I can imagine it would be pretty hard to think that you might have a gift worth sharing. Maybe part of it is that we're too busy. We're trying to get ahead, or we're just trying to stay afloat. So students, I know you guys have a boatload of homework all the time. What else is it that keeps you busy? Jobs, what else? Sports, what else? Anyone have to take an ACT, SAT, IB, what else, PSAT? Ace, Facebook, I heard in the back. <laughs> what about parents with kids still in the home? Are you guys busy? You are busy. What keeps you busy? Children, Children keep you busy. Working? Laundry, housework, dishes, going to all those things that these children do. How about if you're caring for someone in your world that needs special care because of health concerns? You would feel like you don't have a single minute to give to anybody else. I wonder if maybe we're too broken do you feel like your tank is on empty physically, emotionally, spiritually? If you're battling depression or an addiction to drugs or alcohol or you're going through a divorce or a really hard breakup or you've recently lost a significant person in your life or you were handed an awful diagnosis or you're recovering from a surgery, you know, there are seasons in our life when we have nothing to give. If you've never been in that place in your moment, in your life, savor the moment. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but it's not gonna last. I guarantee it. The silver lining, though, is that those broken places, those times when we're, our, when we're at our lowest, are typically seasons. They're not lifelong sentences. Well, you know, I think God must have known that we would wonder and struggle with sharing our gifts. 
And it may be one of the reasons that he gave us this passage today in Acts 3 to consider. I'd like to take a look again at what Emma had read for us. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, if you're like me, I kind of stopped right there and I go, well, why are Peter and John going to the temple? Because Jesus has already been crucified, dead, raised again, ascended into heaven. So aren't they Christians now? Well, actually, they're still really good Jewish men. In Acts 2.46, it says, Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. So rather than replacing the temple, this emerging religion drew the faithful to the temple. They prayed at specific times during the day, not just on the Sabbath. So for Peter and John, going to the temple would be just as normal as you and me coming to church. And verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. People going to church are a fairly easy target for beggars, don't you think? So begging at the temple, very common, just like us seeing the guy standing at the stoplight with the I will work for food signs. So verse 3, when the beggars saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, the beggar asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And the beggar fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I'll let you in on my best trick in the book. Never make eye contact with the beggar if you don't want to feel guilty for not doing anything. Because look what happened. They made eye contact, and now the beggar is expecting something very specific from these guys. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. Okay, so here it is. Here's the message for the entire day. The one thing I want you to remember. You ready? You ready for it? Here it is. But what I have, I give to you. What I have, I give to you. In other words, give what you got. This reminds me of a story that I read about a successful high school football team in Baltimore, Maryland called Gilman. Gilman is a college prep school for boys. These coaches have unusual rules, but one ironclad rule is no one eats alone. If a Gilman football player sees another boy off by himself, he is to go to him and invite, either sit with him right then or invite him to come sit with him and his friends. The coach says, I don't care if you know him or not. I don't care if he's the best athlete in the school. I don't care if he's the so-called nerd with his head always in the books. Your job is to go get that boy. You make him feel special and you make him feel welcomed. The foundational, foundational requirement for Gilman football players is to base their thoughts and actions on one simple question. What can I do for others? And then they give what they've got. You know, football players and athletes often have a lot of currency just in their presence. Can you imagine a high school, a middle school, where no one ever has to sit alone? Can you imagine a world where no one ever has to be alone. 
One difference between us and Gilman is that when we give what we've got, we do it because God calls us to respond with the gifts that he's given us. And then we take it one step further and we give credit back to God who gifted us in the first place. So in the last verse of part of verse six, Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And I love the next part. Peter took the beggar by the right hand and raised him up and immediately the beggar's feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk and he entered the, the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter and John did such a great job of giving God the glory for the healing that this guy's doing a happy dance in church, praising God with his newly healed ankles and legs. And then finally, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. Him, ripple effects. So, how can you and I be like Peter and John and give what we've got? Now, Peter had the power from Jesus to heal. That's a good gift. Our gifts might not be quite as extraordinary. In Rabbi Kushner's book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, he tells a story about a little boy who was late getting home for dinner. And his mom said to him, where have you been? And he said, well, I was on my way home when I saw a little boy and a wheel had fallen off his tricycle, so I stopped to help him. His mother said, how could you help him? You don't know how to fix a tricycle. And the little boy said, I know. I couldn't help him with his tricycle. So I sat down and I helped him cry. I think that might be a gift that I have. I can help you cry. So what if we started by honestly assessing what the gifts God has given us, what the strengths are that God has given us? A long time ago, I stumbled upon this quote by Pablo Picasso, of all things, and I have to share it with you today. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. So regardless of any voices from your past, think about the special way that God has created you. What are you good at? What skills do you have? Adam Grant is an author and the youngest tenured and highest rated professor at Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. One of his books that he's written is called Give and Take. He believes in giving microloans to other people who have no way of paying it back. Now the microloans that he typically gives, his knowledge, skills, and connections. He gives what he's got. Adam believes that givers, those who regularly exercise that muscle of generosity achieve the greatest success in the long run and find the richest meaning and happiness in life. Kind of a fringe benefit. The second thing we should consider as we try to be like Peter and John is our heart. Is there something that you're passionate about or something that you want to change? My friends Sarah Soboleski and Colleen Buckmeyer have a heart for children who don't have an opportunity to be educated. They raised money and then they went to Haiti to build a school. You know, I think they're working on a school right now in Nicaragua. That's passion. 
Ask yourself, what truly gives you joy? Or is there something in your life that you have had a personal experience with that connects you well to others? There's this man named Rich who lost his dad unexpectedly when he was just a boy. He was eight years old. When father and son events came up throughout the year, men from their church and then his friends' dads always included him. That's probably why Rich has such a heart for Little League Baseball, and he's known throughout his community as being a caring coach. When their next-door neighbors got divorced, Rich was the first one who stopped by and invited their son to join his son's baseball team because the dad wasn't living in the home anymore. When Rich's assistant suddenly died, the first call he made was to that family to reach out to that little eight-year-old boy to wonder about how he could maybe mentor him. You see, Rich understood what it felt like to be a fatherless child. He opened his eyes to see, he felt it in his heart, and then he reached out his hand to help these boys up. He gave from his brokenness. Give what you got. Now, Rich's wounds had been healed into scars, but you know those fresh wounds of hurt that can truly disable us for a season. Well, sometimes the best gift that we can give is to allow someone else to care for us. Most of us still have that pesky little problem of being very, very busy. Well, Peter and John did their giving during an ordinary activity on an ordinary day. So whether we are grocery shopping or watching a soccer game, I imagine if we open our eyes to see, we might find little opportunities to give what we got. Adam Rifkin is an entrepreneur in San Francisco, and he coined this phrase and this activity called the five-minute favor. Giving doesn't mean you have to become like Mother Teresa or Gandhi. A five-minute favor is just a small act that could add large value to other people's lives, but costs us very little. So what if we all left this place today and we tried to do one five-minute favor each day of the week? If we sleep eight hours, that leaves us with 960 hours left each day. And I'm challenging us to use five of those minutes to use our gift to help someone else and expect nothing in return. Now, here's where your crayon comes in. I want you to take your crayon home as a reminder that you have God-given gifts. And then I want you to use it. Get a note card or a piece of paper and write an encouraging phrase on it like, I appreciate you, or what's another encouraging phrase? Way to go. Good job. You are loved. You're so pretty. That's actually an insult in her world. So, um, <laughs> so you write that on that card, and here's what you do. You tuck it under someone's windshield wiper. You put it in someone's locker. You put it with a generous tip that you're going to leave for a server. 
And that's just the beginning. So we're just sort of exercising our, our generosity muscles. What if we keep our eyes open so we can give what we've got? Can you imagine the impact that we can make in this community if every one of us does just one little piece of reaching our hand down to help someone up in the name of Christ? Who knows who will come dancing up this aisle praising God? And all of God's artists said, amen.